and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Bibber, SB Nation's NFL editor. With me, as always, Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing awesome. Excellent. <laughs> well, Danny, before we, get, before we jump into real f- football things, I have a much more important question. Yeah. Did you get your couch? I did. Excellent. I did, I did have great moves. I had someone ask me about that on Twitter, even. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't wait to hear on Thursday what happened. So everyone rest assured knowing I have a couch now, so I have somewhere to sit. <laughs> so somewhere to fall asleep on. Yeah, it's great. There you go, man. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, well, that is a positive way. note. Yeah. And I'm glad. Did you? And, and hopefully it, it came without a without too much hassle but uh it was good it was good there you go um well we should uh jump into the uh before uh, you know i thought today we would hit the you know we said last time we were going to hit some games but uh we've got another (laughs) kind of important development that's happened i think last night around what 10 o'clock or so is when the news broke, and it was quite a surprise because I thought we were kind of mostly through the coaching carousel stuff, it seemed like. Right. And the Buccaneers fired Lovey Smith after just two seasons. Um, I know the Bucks were 6-10 and 10 this year, which isn't a great record, but that's four wins better than where they were last season. And I saw somebody say, I haven't confirmed it, but I did see somebody say on Twitter today that uh, Lovey was the first coach to be fired after improving by four wins from the previous season. Hmm. Which to me just kind of gets more to the surprise of it. You figure they just drafted a rookie quarterback, Winston, with the first overall pick last year. Um, there was quite a bit of turnover from the roster from the Greg Schiano era, which was the two years before Lovey Smith came in there. And then all of a sudden this happened. Steven, give us some in I mean I mean I know that nobody knows what the hell's going on down there, but like is there is there anything that to read from this thing? Not that I can tell. Um you know, everybody's kind of grasping their straws and, and that speaks to how nobody really saw this coming. Uh you know, of course there's always fans who who kind of call for the coaches firing annually, no matter who it is. Um, but you just didn't figure uh, the Glazers were going to make a, a move like that when you saw this kind of improvement. Yeah. And then, and then you factor in, look, man, they, had, they just had a draft that produced two starting offensive linemen this year. Uh, the left tackle, uh, the rookie uh, Donovan Smith, started all 16 games. And you had a rookie middle linebacker in Quan Alexander. And last year the, the draft uh, yielded Mike Evans. So yeah. over the course of two years, they kind of set this team up uh, for long-term success. So it just seems weird that we wouldn't give them one more year to try to de- draft a little bit more on defense and maybe bring in a few more free agents to, to kind of see this thing through and give them a fair shot. But, you know, that, that is their prerogative. They can hire and fire who they want. I just think that uh, how they fire these people is starting to be – quite a bit of an embarrassment, you know. Yeah. Going all the way back to Tony Dungy when he found out from the media and had to go back through the rain to try to get his stuff and, and his cold off it didn't work. Mm. To, you know, John Gruden, who they keep around for three weeks after most of the, the, the available openings had already been filled and then fire him. And now you fire Levy Smith over the phone. And look, you can make all the goddamn excuses you want to. Oh, well, we were going to call him so he'd come in and have a meeting, but he figured us out. No shit, Sherlock. You call him <laughs> at 10 o'clock at fucking night and say, come come in here so we can talk. You might as well be on Hard Knocks telling uh, one of the players, oh, coach needs to see you and bring your playbook. Yeah. So, of course, he ain't going to waste a fucking trip to come in there after you done called him at 10 o'clock at night. Why don't you just see him? Better yet, why not have this meeting before the man had his end-of-the-year press conference on Tuesday? That, that's the part I really can't understand because ain't shit changed since Sunday. And even before Sunday, who really thought that the Buccaneers were going to beat the Carolina Panthers, right? It's yeah. not like they got the hell beat out of them. They, 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 they lost to the better team. They probably got the, the NFL MVP at quarterback. So what the hell changed from Sunday to Wednesday night where you feel like, oh, shit, we, just, we can't even wait to, to, to fire this guy. We got to call him tonight and, and, 
and act like, oh, uh, you know, uh, if you happen to be in the area, just come by and swing by and talk to the owners tomorrow. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and just the new parts. And, and it's not like they were a very healthy roster this season either. I mean, they had a lot of injuries on both sides of the ball. And particularly at the end of the season, uh, one of the things about this four-game skid at the end, and I don't know if that was the deciding factor or not, but you had uh, the Saints game where uh, you lose Vincent Jackson, who kind of had just came back and had provided a good spark for the offense. He gets hurt in like the first quarter. You lose your second-string nose tackle, who's now your starter, because the first-team guy uh, got hurt early in the season. He's on IR. And, of course, that was the first game without Quan Alexander serving out his four-game suspension. So they have had, between injuries and the, the Alexander suspension, they've had a lot of missing pieces on a team that already was a little bit bereft of talent. I think Chris Conte missed, like, the last three games, too, and he started the whole season at safety. So, um, you know, if you look deep enough, you see reasons why they lost these last four games. James didn't play particularly well in any of those games either. Um, And you just felt like the total body of work this season would have shown enough improvement to give them a third year. I would have thought, and I think most people would have thought that too, but obviously that wasn't wasn't the same thing that the uh, Glazers were thinking. At what point did they like realize that you need a little continuity? Because like you said, it's like that was what three firings in four years now. I mean, that's just, that's just ridiculous. It's pretty dang close to that. Yeah, or three in five years. Either way, like, I mean, when are they going to ever realize that? I mean, no one can – I mean, I, I don't have strong feelings about Lovey Smith in particular, but I just think, you know, in general, like, you, you have to give a guy some time to implement his program. You can't do it in a year. And look um – just quite honestly, last year was a debacle. 2014 was just, you can't even count the ways that Lovey Smith had buzzer luck his first season in Tampa. Yeah. His whole year out of football was spent trying to figure out how he could get the offense to complement his defense, right? Because obviously he couldn't get offense right in Chicago, and that ultimately led to him getting fired. So he picks a guy. He, he gets a guy he thinks is basically his philosophical soulmate on offense. And then that guy gets sick, has a heart problem right before the season starts. Yeah. Then the first, first game of the season, you lose, you're, you're starting left defense end for the year with the torn uh, uh, shoulder, I think. And then your big money free agent, right defense end, hurts his ankle, and he's never right the rest of the season. I think he ends up with less than maybe five sacks or less, and you threw all this money at him. All your free agent signees, pretty much end up being a bust. Every last one of them. The left tackle gets cut this fast spring. So does the, the defensive end. The center gets benched this year. He gets beat out by Joe Hawley after he was hurt. Uh, uh, Werner, Alteron Werner, who had just made his Pro Bowl, his first Pro Bowl with the Tennessee Titans, we bring him here. He, he has a shitty year last year and then ends up getting moved to Nickelback and then eventually benched, and then eventually back in the lineup by the end of the season. And so that was truly a debacle. We, I, I don't even think people really fully appreciate just how bad that season was. And maybe getting two wins was actually an accomplishment, all things considered. Everything that could have gone wrong pretty much did. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know hand hit quarterback Josh McCown comes down here and starts playing like Josh McClown from, from you know, <laughs> until he gets bent. So, uh, to me, I felt like this. If they'd have fired Lovey after last year, really couldn't argue about it, right? I mean, that was that looked like the picture of just ineptness yeah. the whole season. But if you're gonna give them another year, then you gotta say to yourself, you can't worry about that first year because he's gonna have to basically wipe that slate clean too and start all over. And so I just, look, it's six wins to six wins. You are what your record says you are. But if you watch the film, you just, it's hard for me to, to, to believe that people really think that this team didn't improve drastically this year. And I'll tell you one thing in particular that, that I pointed out to somebody earlier today. 
you look at Lamonte David, right? And he started yeah. the season off slow, true enough. But by the end of the season, man, he was making as many plays as anybody on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, fumble recoveries, calls, fumbles, interceptions, all this stuff, because he had finally gotten adjusted to this defense. And it usually takes a year and a half. Everybody says that. But he finally figured it out. So he was ready to really take a huge step forward next year in his third year in his defense. Yeah. And now, now who knows what kind of defense we're going to be running next year. So you did, at least you did see from some guys, particularly on defense, some improvement. Carl Alexander got better all year as a rookie. But then you turn around and you, you just cut it off after two seasons. I, I just don't get it. Like, I, I get it. I would have gotten it last year for sure. 2-14, it's hard to argue somebody's supposed to keep their job. But if you're going to move forward, I got to feel like you should have promised that guy, unless he just was totally inept again, if you see some progress, you should have been like, okay, we're going to give you a third year to, so that you have fully implemented everything and you've got them pieces in here that you think you need to win. Yeah. So uh, it's just, it's a hair scratcher. Look, like I said, it's their prerogative. I don't like how they did it, but yeah, I can't really say yeah or nay about whether they should have fired love because that's their prerogative. But we're getting to the point where when people say we're the Browns of the NFC, how can you say we're not? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, and I was it was interesting you mentioned some of the free agent stuff especially from 2014, but you know, and I I'm sure and I don't know the extent to how the structure was was worked in the front office, but you know, that what the the free agent signings aren't all, I mean to me that's not all Lovey Smith either. I mean, you know, that's well, you get the general manager in there too for that, don't you? Do you not? I mean, well, I mean, one guy's still there and one guy ain't, so Yeah. <laughs> We can imagine how those conversations went behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I don't imagine Jason Light was, was standing up and saying, yeah, that was my guy. The guy that was a big bust yesterday, that was all me yeah. right there, dog. <laughs> but, you know, but you just never know. One, one thing I've said about the Glazers for a long time is they aren't really football people. Like, yeah. they invested in this team because they saw it as a good investment. And, look, it has certainly paid off for them. But – they're not really football people. When they got here, they inherited a really good GM, Rich McKay. And he got them Tony Dungy. Yeah. And then he went to got them John Gruden. Then when they didn't want McKay anymore, or really John Gruden didn't, they allowed Gruden to bring in his own GM. And when it actually was a, the time when they had to pick their own GM was when they just defaulted to Mark Dominic, who had already been in the building for 20 years. Yeah. Right? But they could do some kind of national search and, and really go, because they don't really know how to do that, I don't think. Yeah. And so, even if they were going to get rid of Lovey for whatever reason, I just don't think they could have afforded to get rid of the GM, too, because then they would have had to go through the process of trying to find another GM. And again, I, I don't really think they know what a good GM is. Yeah. You know, that's kind of an issue across the NFL, right? I mean, I think it, it's sort of an evolving issue in the NFL. And I, because I noticed this with the reload, you know, we joke, I joke about joke. <laughs> I talk about Jeff Fisher a lot on here, but it's, you know, there's, and I noticed this with the relocation stuff too. It just, there's this kind of cadre of NFL owners now that, it's a good investment. They're not necessarily football people. I mean, you can make fun of Jerry Jones all you want. And he deserves a lot of shit. There's no question about it. But, you know, I mean, he's a football guy. Right. I mean, he's sort of committed to football. Or, you know, maybe then you have a scenario like you do in Seattle where maybe Paul Allen's not necessarily a football guy, but he understands his team and, you know, he lets the football people run it. Yeah. But now you have this, like, you know, it's like Cronky, or, I mean, I guess I would probably throw Spanos in there maybe too, but it, it, you're, you have these corporate guys that are coming in buying the teams for a billion dollars because that's who can afford to buy a team, and it's just sort of a portfolio piece as opposed to a football team. And, and you can't lose money on an NFL team right now. I mean, maybe you will, maybe that the economics of the situation will change down the road with the new collective bargaining agreement or TV arrangement or whatever. But, you know, it, it's impossible to lose money on an NFL team right now. And it's a billion dollar investment. And I think that attracts some of the wrong people into it. I don't know. That was just sort of the rant I stumbled upon and it kind of fit the, 
Lovey Smith stuff that you just mentioned because I kind of came across it, you know, thinking about it with the relocation crap. Yeah, I kind of been thinking about that too, man. It just it makes everything different when yeah. the motivation is totally different for why you're owning the team. Yeah. So and there's yeah. no and there's not an economic. It's just like people were talking about attendance, attendance in St. Louis or attendance at the Chargers games. It's like, well, that's not where the economic incentive is for owners. I mean, it's just you nope. know, it, it's a nice boost, but you can have a shitty team and you can still go out and sell suites and corporate sponsorships and stuff like that because the NFL makes money hand over fist. There's no economic incentive to really have a winning team anymore, you know? It really, it is. Especially with the TV deals and stuff like that, yeah. you're going to make money. Revenue sharing, you're going to make money. Yeah, oh okay? yeah. Ain't that, I mean, you never have it where, you know, a team is so bad that nobody shows up. Hell, when I first got here, they had Hugh, uh, prior to that, they had Hugh Culverhouse. And they had no shortage of stories about how cheap this guy was. <laughs> like they didn't even have like a Gatorade machine uh, in our old locker room. And you, I really wish y'all could. I don't know if y'all ever seen how old facilities used to look, but man, it was just run down right beside, literally right beside the airport. We'd be practicing, and here come jumbo jets landing <laughs> right beside our practice field. That, that's one hundred percent fact. And so. Look, you know, you have had kind of skinflints in the NFL all along, but it seems like now they are actually taking over the league, and I just don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And and, and you see that more and more, you know, we, you, you see this fallout from these owners' meetings, and that's just sort of the, the collection coming in there. And I think that's why, you know, out of all the coaching changes, people were talking about the Giants job. It's like, hey, you know, whatever you think of Tom Coughlin, whether he deserved to go or not, if you're a head coach, the Giants aren't a bad organization to work for because, you know, they run it the right way. So, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens because this is going to be a problem. I mean, you know, you go back, remember that thing Mark Cuban had a year or two ago where he's like, oh, the NFL is going to, Everyone's going to get sick of it. They're going to wear themselves out. He was kind of talking about like Thursday night football and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I would look at that and, and think that, you know, it's like anything. It's not that there's going to be one concussions or something like that that will turn people off. And, and all of a sudden you'll go from the most popular television program in America to, you know, a, a niche sport or anything like that. But I think if you have too much of this stuff, you'll eventually kind of start to push people away and then you'll notice it gradually as opposed to uh you know all in, all in one shot like that i don't know it, it, it sucks for fans is the most i guess is the thing i'm most concerned with because you want to root for a winning team and i understand that you know you're not going to win the super bowl or 14 games every season but you know it sucks to have owners that can just kind of come in and roll over on stuff like that and not really have to give a shit about you know putting a super bowl contender on the field what, Steven, what do you gather from the fans? Do you think the fans are pretty upset about this, or what is, what's the main reaction that you've seen? Well, the, the problem is it's hard to gauge fans here because the loudest and the most wrong consistently uh, tend to be the ones who <laughs> maybe don't like Lovey, you know, but, but they're always <laughs> loud and wrong. So, you know, are they the majority? I, I don't really think they are. Um, right. But I, I think... And this is really my thing, too, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I know owners can fire and hire whoever the hell they want to. My thing is how they did it. And I think right. even fans who kind of been calling for Lovey's job didn't like that at all, the way they handled it. Because, you look, there's a lot of people that don't think that Lovey's a good coach. I don't happen to be one of them, but that's fine. But even those people usually acknowledge what a great person he is. And you don't yeah. fire a great person over the fucking phone the day after you let him do his end-of-the-year press conference. You just don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, and that was kind of a weird, I mean, there's always one of those surprising coaching moves that come, it seems like, every season. And I, that was that definitely took the cake this year. Um. Oh, I just saw Jay Glazer just spoke with Levy, so we might be getting some gems. Here soon, uh, I don't know. Oh boy! I saw Jason. Yeah. Jason Light's about to it was speaking at two o'clock. Or two so. o'clock. Yeah. 
So, so I mean, not that that's going to say a lot, but yeah, I, uh, we'll see. We'll see what the fallout is here. But you know, you go back to, uh, I mean, I think uh, Levante David's tweet last night said a lot. Well, um, that's the essence of this whole thing, though. Look, at some point, you got to commit to somebody and run with them. I was not a Shiano yeah. fan. I made no fucking bones about it. But if you want some fucking stability and you really think he can coach. Stay with that guy, okay? But he's in a whole different universe than Lovey Smith, okay? And half the people that, that like, complain about how Lovey coaches have no fucking clue the kind of defense that he runs. Yeah. Like, and that's the hard that gets me is, you're telling me how bad a coach he is, but then you turn around and say he runs all this time with two, <laughs> and then you don't fucking run it hardly at all. So it, it, if your complaint is, well, he runs too much uh, man-to-man defense, Okay, fine. I don't agree, but at least you'll be more accurate. People are so fucking mad at him for shit he isn't even doing. So, <laughs> you know, again, th- that's fine, okay? People don't have to be loving fans. I don't give a shit. But I just don't see how you can't look at this year, especially compared to the first year, which is, like I said, an absolute debacle. How you can't see progress um, and room to grow from this season, I just don't understand. Well, especially with, you know, your quarterback, the first overall pick. I mean, that's kind of the prize. And, you know, I know you just look at Winston's stats. They're they're okay. But, I mean, you know, he had a pretty good season for a rookie quarterback. I mean, there was plenty of reason to to have hope there. And, and man, when you can get that, that's half the battle in the National Football League right now, man. So I, I was really surprised by that. I just I thought you know of all things to get a you know you have a quarterback like that you'll you you should at least you know get the benefit of the doubt for that season. But you you would think so. And and then two, it, here's the thing: like of all the scenarios, nobody knew anything. Like I said, you can it's obvious from the tweets last night. First for like the first five minutes, everybody was just like wow, and then the the rest of the time, everybody was coming up with all these scenarios that, quote-unquote, must have been what went down. You know, it must have been Lovey didn't want his assistants fired, even though our local reporter already shot that down. Yeah. Or it must have been this, or it must have been that. The only actual scenario that makes sense to me is if they were going to hire Dirk Carter. It still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, considering the last four games that we lost, that, that people were complaining about. It was his offense that went in the tank. Yeah. Now, there was reasons for that. You know, this Jackson being hurt. But it was his offense that was lacking in the last four games, quite honestly. So I, I don't necessarily 100% get that, but at least it makes some sense, right? You think Dirk Carter is going to be uh, a high commodity. You think maybe he's uh, more essential to, to James's growth than Lovey. Whatever the reason. Okay, that's fine. But nothing else, I still don't agree with, but nothing else, that I've seen thrown about makes any fucking sense at all. It just really doesn't. So it'll be interesting to me to see if they actually do go ahead and name him the head coach. Because if they don't name him the head coach, they look way dumber than they do right now. Yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah. It's just... Yeah, it's it's a fa- it was it was, a, it was it was a fascinating piece of news. I mean, it's sort of sad, but fascinating to 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 watch it kind of unfold at the same time, and we'll see where they go from here. But I don't, I don't know, man. They're going to have to do something because you're going to have to at some point. I mean, I understand maybe with a coach like Shiano or this Chip Kelly situation in Philadelphia. Even I understand that if you can't get along with people and you can't get along with your players. You've got bigger problems than the record on the field, and it's going to, obviously it will translate to the record on the field. But you know, if you can get along with people and you can get the job done and you can make prog- show some progress, then I just don't understand. Now, if you do that for ten years, it's another thing. But if you do it for two seasons, it's 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 a whole other matter, and it just it's it's crazy. And and I don't know. We'll see what happens. It sucks for Buccaneers fans. I feel for y'all. <clears throat> do you think that there's anything to the idea that, like, for instance, like what the Bucks have done and what the 49ers have done, that it like hurts their ability to hire a good coach, or do you think that the jobs are just so scarce that that doesn't really matter? Like, guys are going to take jobs anyway. Well, uh, I, it, it it comes down to the quality 
a candidate. Yeah. If you have a guy that has our show, why would right. they want to come to either place? Yeah, that's right? that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. But now there's always going to be guys who don't have other options. Sure. Sure. And and, and that's how you know they kind of keep the carousel going. Yeah. But when when you talk about the cream of the crop, look. The Buccaneers, it's not that they hired uh, Raheem Morris or uh, uh, Greg Schiano because they thought they were the cream of the crop, right? <laughs> but you wait three weeks to fire your head coach, ain't many other guys out there. So they had to, you know, just elevate Raheem. And then yeah. with Greg Schiano, nobody wanted to come. Chip Kelly turned them down. Several people turned them down. And even when Tony was here, you know, they kept trying to give his job away and people kept saying no. Even when we started winning. So um, I'm going to say that, look, there's always going to be somebody that wants to coach to be a head coach in the NFL, right? But what you don't want to do is end up being what Detroit used to be and what Cleveland is now. Yeah. And it's just a a, a place for guys who have nowhere else to go because it still ain't going to work out well probably. Yeah, exactly. And then you just – and then you start to perpetuate that cycle and then you're – it's – you know, another one of those reasons teams get stuck like that. You know, it's why you, the Browns and the Lions, you know, very rarely go to the playoffs, much less win any playoff games because you just you create your own vicious cycle. Let's talk about the games. We got we've got playoff games this week, so that's pretty exciting. Um, we might as well just go down. I wanted to hit kind of some all of all of the four games this weekend for the wild card round, so we might as well just go down the list. Starting on Saturday, the first game of the weekend. It's one we even talked a little bit about last week. Chiefs at the Texans. Now, this is one of those things where the Texans get the home game because they won the AFC, the mighty AFC South. So they get the home game because they get that fourth seed. But the Chiefs are really, obviously, um, you know, the hotter team coming into this. And uh, coming off a 10-game win, riding a 10-game win streak into this. They're going to get Justin Houston back. Vegas favors the Chiefs by three now, so that's a you know a road game favored by three points. It looks pretty good if you're a Chiefs fan, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean absolutely. Um, and you know the the Texans have DeAndre Hopkins on offense, but I mean that's kind of it in terms of like really scary guys that you have to game plan for. In other words, and, you know their their offense or uh, their quarterback situation has been in flux this year a lot. Um, you know, not a lot of continuity there with injuries and everything, but, but yeah, I think uh, this matchup to me looks pretty good for for Kansas City. And I would have to agree with Danny. Uh, <laughs> and 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 one of the things that really is going to be a problem for the Texans is that Dwayne Brown, their standout left tackle, uh, <clears throat> he was on the Torres quad last week. Yeah, so he's done. He's done for the. The, the rest of the playoffs and, and who knows how long it's actually going to take him to recover. He had surgery, I think, earlier this week. So now, uh, basically on a short week, you're going to have to replace Dwayne Brown, who's been their left tackle for years and years now. When you got Tom Ali and Justin Houston and the second-year kid uh, out of Auburn last year, uh, yeah, that could be a problem. <laughs> Especially when, yep. again, you got um, – or you're starting, who, who's a decent quarterback when you keep him upright. But when you get the kind of pressure on him that I think you're going to see the Chiefs put on him this weekend, uh, I, I would expect Marcus Peters to probably take another one back. Yeah. That's what I was saying. That's what I was going to say, too, is, you know, with their, with their defensive line and the pressure they can get um, combined with their really pretty excellent secondary, uh, I could see you know Houston really struggling not to turn the ball over. I think that's going to be a big deal for them. And I think off the top of my head, I think the Chiefs are one of the top teams in the NFL in terms of turnover ratio. They just they protect the football, they run it. You know they're relatively conservative, but they they you know they just don't turn the ball over as much as most teams. And so um you know if they get their defense get a couple turnovers that thing that could be just the difference in the game right there i think you know that's going to be really tough for the texans to get over is there a hope for the texans i mean is there a way they can do this <clears throat> i mean anything can happen and when play once playoffs start and i think uh you know having the defense the, the houston houston's defense is definitely still good and, and so that that'll be a factor and 
um, they could make this one of those like low scoring kind of sloggy games. And I think that would give them a chance to, if they could get a big play or two and, and maybe like a special teams play here or there, then th- that could be the difference. But for me, the, the matchup just looks really good for the Chiefs. And so I, I feel pretty comfortable picking the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anybody in our, yeah, nobody, Odd Shark, for some reason, the computer at the Odds Shark, the company that we work with for some odds stuff for our sports coverage, picked Houston, and that's the only one. Oh. Everyone that breathes. Interesting. Even PFT Commenter, who once picked ISIS to win a game last year. <laughs> and oh we heard about that one let me tell you <laughs> you got plenty of emails about that oh yeah everybody picked kc for that game so <laughs> it's up to it's up to what romeo Cornell and jj watt to 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 make it happen for the odd shark computer here and i mean the the i mean the texans have a good pass rush too and that could be a big deal obviously but i mean i don't know i just look at it and i think that I don't know how the the Texans offense is going to do enough to win this one. They they're going to have to. I mean, if 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 Houston wins, it's going to be like they got like a pick six or they got um, you know a punt return kickoff a kickoff return touchdown or punt return touchdown something like that to kind of even the odds a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, I just I just think that this is a good matchup for the Chiefs, as I said, and I think they should be pretty. They should be fine in this one. So what happened to the Chiefs? Going back, like you know, I think it was maybe right around the time that they lost that fifth straight game, or maybe the week after when <clears throat> when you weren't quite sure what was going to happen. But like I remember having this whole conversation, like we were going to chart Alex Smith's passes to see how often they threw short of the sticks on third down. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, like they're kind of an—I mean, I wouldn't say juggernaut, but I mean they can score and they can move the ball right now, and they can do it really well. And that's without Jamal Charles. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what's, what, what did they do differently? I don't know. I mean, honestly, yeah, Stephen, what were you going to say? The thing that I noticed uh, that's more glaring is uh, the quarterback has started taking shots down the field. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the thing about it is I don't know that he ever was bad at taking shots down the field. It's just that he stopped taking them. Yeah. And that goes back to you talking about the turnover ratio. They're always going to have a good turnover ratio with Alex Smith because he's never taking any, any chances, or at least he wasn't early on in the season. That's how he ends up, I think, with like five interceptions, where, whereas most other guys have, you know, maybe 10 or so. So, uh, but he did start taking more chances. And, and to be fair, a lot of times it, it wasn't even much of a chance. Like these guys, Jeremy Macklin, Travis Kelsey, they're running like unaccosted down the field, wide open. But even then, normally he wouldn't take those shots. Yeah. But now he's taking them, and that opens up the whole offense. And I was actually telling somebody this. You know, I wrote a column like a couple of years ago comparing uh, Alex Smith to um, to uh, Steve McNair, right? Uh-huh. And obviously, it's not it's not a comparison that a lot of people are going to make. But what I was saying was he, he's very smart with the football. He's not going to turn it over. Very athletic, can run, uh, you know, make a bunch of first downs, you know, third and five or whatever. You can't play man-to-man against him where he's going to take that five yards. He's definitely going to take off running. And so I, I, basically I said then the only thing missing is that Steve would take some shots down the field. And so now that he's doing that, man, there, there's a lot of, of, of similarities between their games. He's not going to get you beat. But now that he has that added dimension of going ahead and throwing a football down the field, people have to respect that. And they can't just load up the box all day. So now you run the game's better. Now it, it also opens up the intermediate area for Travis Kelsey to, and, and, and the slot receivers to work too. So yeah. really to me, I really do feel like, and I don't have this charted or anything, but from what I've seen, he's taking a lot more shots the second mm-hmm. half of the season than he did in the first. Yeah, and you know, and I don't have this. Uh, this data is not easily available because, but I did kind of want to see. I, I want to see it at some point, but it, it's not as easy as it used to to be because a certain some statistics provider uh, changed the way their <laughs> subscription model works. But um, I noticed you see Macklin in the slot a lot more. 
than it seems like you did maybe early on in the season. And that seems to have helped. I think this may be an evolution of offenses overall as well. Yeah. Um, it seems like now the important thing is to line up your best receiver all over the place. And so most teams, number one, you're going to see them in a slot quite a bit. You see it with Julio Jones, even though he's a bigger guy. Um, uh, Antonio Brown obviously is a smaller guy, but, but he lives in the slot a lot yeah. of times. And so as you look at these top guys, um, I think it's about matchups. And, and, and Macklin in the slot is going to be matched up with a, a nickel corner. And that is a mismatch against most nickel corners in the league. So I think it, it, that's just Andy Reid getting a little bit more um, creative. Mm-hmm. But also, like I said, a lot of times on the slot, he's actually um, running deeper routes there too, up the seams and, and what have you. And Alex Smith is trusting him and throwing the <laughs> football to him because he's making plays. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's kind of um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think back. You know, he had a, a concussion like near the middle of the season, and it, it was supposed to be a pretty bad one. So um, I wasn't exactly sure he was going to finish the season out um, earlier this season because I think he had like a bad concussion in Philly too, and everybody yeah. was concerned. But um, he's bounced back from that, man, and been very, very productive. Here are some numbers to back that up in, in terms of what you're talking about, kind of hitting him in the slot up the seam and everything. So the Chiefs, I, I'm getting this from NFL GIS or GSIS or whatever. Um, they had 22, play, 22 deep shots down the left side, which was the last in the NFL, the least amount in the NFL. They had 18 deep shots down the middle of the field, which is 27th in the NFL, and then 21 deep shots down the right side, which is 31st in the NFL, so second to last. So their middle, the, the middle of the field kind of deep shot thing is kind of where they, I think, kind of improved. Um, they averaged 18.5 yards per uh, attempt there which is fifth in the NFL, and he completed two-thirds of his passes that way, which is third in the NFL, 66%. So I think that middle of the field area, like you're talking about, is kind of where he's changed a little bit because he's still not throwing deep down the left and right too often. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. That That's interesting to hear that in the numbers, and if, especially if you need know, to get in and break those down and see what they'd look like. But I'll be interested to watch this game and see how that offensive game plan unfolds. You know, with Smith and the ball, you know, how, how deep do they go down the field and, and how they kind of match up against what Romeo's been doing with that defense because he's really made some pretty smart defensive calls and that's kind of, I think, been a big reason why the Texans actually got to 9-7 not to nine and seven on the season. All right, let's go to Cincinnati where you got the Steelers and the Bengals. Division rivalry, obviously. Steelers are favored by three, and I think that probably has a lot to do with the fact that A.J. McCarron is starting over Andy Dalton, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and it's kind of funny because here we are all season, as the Bengals have been so good, talking about Andy Dalton and the playoff narrative, and now it's going to be A.J. McCarron in the playoff narrative. It's kind of, yeah, and that's the irony of it all. You know, they can't win with him. Now they can't win without him. But uh, it's uh, to me, it's kind of surprising that Pittsburgh is favored in this because they haven't exactly been, like, the model of consistency the last couple weeks. Um, and so, I don't know. And they have their running back situation is kind of up in the air right now, too, with uh, – with D'Angelo Williams hurt and being injured, yeah. So I don't know. That it's kind of surprising to me, though. I mean, it's just hard to win in the NFL with the backup. Regardless, it's even harder to win in the playoffs with the backup quarterback. So I understand that for sure. Yeah. But to me, Cincinnati is so deep. They're such a deep and balanced team uh, that it's just a little surprising. That's where the line is. Well, um, he's got you know. I mean, McCarron, McCarron, but he does have you know. He's got AJ Green to throw the ball to, and Tyler yeah. Eifert, and. Jeremy Hill's running the ball, and Jill Bernard's running the ball. And, you know, and to Hugh Jackson's credit, why he's such a hot name in the coaching carousel right now is he's done a great job game yeah. planning that offense. Exactly, yeah. And, and it seems to me like the thing I look at when I see the line, I look at the matchups, and is like that Steelers defense, not really much to be impressed with this season. Right. It's not like anything outstanding. They're definitely – the identity of their team is definitely their offense, um, whereas I think Cincinnati 
I mean, I don't really know what you would choose because their defense is really good too. It, you know, they're just a really, really balanced team. So I don't know. It's uh it's an interesting matchup though, for sure, because obviously they're division rivals, but um, since he has a good secondary, uh, they have a, you know, um, they, they're just deep all around on, on defense. So that, that could be, they could be a team that could slow down the, the Ben Roethlisberger passing attack and kind of to try and take Antonio Brown out of the game a little bit, make, the other guys beat you, but uh, that doesn't happen very often, unfortunately, for, for teams playing Pittsburgh. He's just pretty unstoppable. Yeah. Now, I notice I'll ask you, Danny, you picked Pittsburgh, and Steven, you picked Cincinnati. Explain your picks a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, uh, I just think it's really hard to win in the playoffs with a backup quarterback. So um, if Cincinnati gets behind – I think it's going to be hard for them to make a comeback. And, and I think that Pittsburgh is the type of team that could jump out on, on you early mm-hmm. just because of their explosive passing attack and, and Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, some of the receivers they have there. So basically that was why I chose Pittsburgh. Um, you know, obviously, obviously, as I alluded to earlier, they, they haven't been a model of consistency. It's on the road. Um, but, but again, I, I just think winning with A.J. McCarron is just seems more unlikely to me so i kind of just that that was kind of my line of thinking though i though i'm not very confident in that pick and in terms of, <laughs> you know it's just one of those ones where you have to pick one team i'm like man that's a tough one but um i because i like cincinnati a lot but i just think the, the quarterback thing is, is the big factor for me yeah steven why'd you go with cincinnati well, in this one well it boils down to this for me and that's the health of d'angelo williams and uh he hurt his foot um, in the last game on Sunday. And uh, I don't really think, even if he's available on, on uh, for the playoffs, I don't think he's going to be close to 100%. And the guy who came in for him last week was Fitzgerald Toussaint. And just to be <laughs> honest with you, I, I, I wasn't even sure he was still in the league, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you. And you lose a lot when you lose D'Angelo Williams because he wasn't just the running back. Uh, although he almost had a thousand yards rushing, he also caught forty balls out of the backfield. Mm. So that tells you that he's in there a lot when they throw. And what's the number one thing you have to do if you're the Steelers this week to win this game? That's keep being Roethlisberger upright. Yeah. So now you're going to be counting on possibly Fitzgerald Toussaint, who again most people can't pick out of a lineup. <laughs> to not only run the ball, which you have to do against this Bengals defense, or else you don't want them knowing you're passing every down. I can yeah. promise you that. And not with that defensive line and not with that secondary. So you got to count on this kid maybe to be your lead running back and one of your leading receivers as D'Angelo Williams and, and before him, uh, uh, Le'Veon Bell were. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like, especially in the playoffs, man, this is going to be – you know, uh, what, uh, in Cincinnati, I think. Yeah. Yep. It's going to yep. probably be cold. You're going to need to be able to run the ball. Throwing the ball is not going to be all that easy. And you got the Bengals who, as Danny said, very, very balanced everywhere. They got two good running backs. They got a good tight end who's, you know, he's going to get open a lot. So I think life will be kind of easy, relatively easy, um, for McCarron. I don't think they'll ask him to win the game for them. They'll just ask him not to lose it. But on, on, on the Steelers' side, if they can't run the football effectively, I don't think that that passing game is going to work effectively either because, look, man, uh, we talk a lot about some of these other guys, J.J. Watt and Aaron, Aaron Donald. Uh, look, uh, what's his name? Dino Atkins yeah. had a fantastic year, too, inside. And you got Carlos Dunlap who's going to beat your right tackle regardless. He might not get you down on the ground for a sack. He's going to beat your right tackle all game, though. Yeah. So if they know that you can't run the football and they know they can pin, pin their ears, ears back, uh, I, I just don't see that Steelers offense working all that well. Yeah, I was just looking at, yeah and Cincinnati's one of the top pass rushes in the league. I mean, in, term, not in terms – I mean, they have 42 sacks this season, but they get to the quarterback an awful lot, even when they're not bringing him down. All right, let's go to the frigid 
hell of Minnesota. The first outdoor <laughs> playoff game in Minnesota since, I think, the 70s. I mean, yeah. I think since, like, the Rams and the Vikings played in the playoffs. And if the Rams are playing the Vikings in the playoffs, you know it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, unanimous pick across the board in this one is Seattle. They're favored by four and as much as five points in some books. They're obviously the road. The line is coming down a little bit. It was like six earlier this week. So here's my question for you, Danny, as an astute Seahawks observer. Um, Marshawn Lynch is coming back into the mix this week. Is that yeah, how does how are they going to work? How do they work Marshawn Lynch in? Because what they've done on offense recently is so has been so impressive, and they've done that without Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I mean, I think that they probably won't try and change a whole lot. Um, I think you know Marshawn Lynch, he likes to run downhill too. Uh, he's he's a little bit different style than obviously Thomas Rawls and Kristen Michael, but um, so they might tweak a few things in terms of what they do up front, but. I don't think they're going to try and change a whole lot just because they've, they've been doing so well. And that's what Tom Cable said, you know, like Marshawn's going to have to adapt to the Seahawks, you know, what they're doing now. And so um, it, it'll definitely be, that's going to be the interesting thing to see in, in terms of one, how, how much does he play? How, you know, how healthy is he? Cause it's, he's coming back from an abdominal injury and it's like going to be zero degrees. And so, you know, we've seen in the past Lynch has had issues getting warmed up and before games and kind of had, um, you know, he's been, I don't know, just whatever he has, he has this ritual that he does before every game and he's had issues with it before games that make him miss the first quarter or whatever. So that will be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I think it's, it's just, it can't be anything but a good thing. He's just such a tough runner. Um, he's been, you know, arguably their MVP on offense for the last couple of years. And so, uh, getting a guy like that back, the, the offensive line loves blocking for that guy. The teammate, his teammates love him. Yeah, he's yeah. a really good receiving back too, which is kind of underrated part of his game. So to me, it's 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 a good thing. It's it's definitely a good thing. And so you know, get get a guy who runs really physical, breaks tackles. Uh, it's going to be probably one of those games where it's kind of a lot of running and, and things like that because of the cold. And so um, I bet you he'll be a big part of the game plan. And and you know. He'll get a good a good amount of carries, probably twenty twenty five carries in this one. Uh, so, Stephen, I'm going to ask you something because how does I mean everyone seems to, I mean it's it's it looks hard for Minnesota to win this one, but how I mean how could they do it and what do they do if you're Minnesota? How do you beat the Seahawks? Well, uh, number one, you're going to have to have a great game on special teams uh, because Tyler Lockett. Basically, by himself, destroyed the Cardinals last week. Yeah, he gave uh, the Seahawks a uh, great field position over and over again. I think he ended up. Uh, what do you have? Like the highest punt return average or kickoff return average or something? No, he broke the record for like punt return yardage last week. Yeah, and that kid is is amazing. Now the Vikings have their own big time return man, a quarterback of Harrison. He's going to have to make some plays. So I think you're going to have to see them make make plays maybe in ways that you're not used to seeing. Like they're, they're going to need some extra, their kicker to be perfect, make a play with the return game, maybe cause a fumble or, or a punt or kickoff return. But but that's how it's going to have to be because I think these are two similar teams, or at least they want to be. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. The, the Vikings have a stout defense. It's not exactly like the Seahawks' defense. But it's got some of the same types of pieces, stout defensive line, uh, really good safety, um, and, and the corners are getting better. Xavier Rhodes really took a big step forward this year, so uh, uh, I think that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna make a game of this with the Seahawks. And so the way that they have to win the game is like the little things, little things with the special teams and maybe you know ball security or some of that nature. But I, I don't think. If they don't like do something above and beyond what, what they normally do, I don't think they're going to beat the Seahawks because, one, I think the Seahawks are simply more talented right now, and, two, they're hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to come in the playoffs like <laughs> – you'd rather come in the playoffs hot than cold, I suspect. <laughs> um, all right, the Green Bay-Washington game is the one that everybody's divided on. Nobody really kind of knows. Like, this is where everybody's a little all over the board with this one. I picked Washington. You guys both picked Green Bay. 
<laughs> and I felt like I just picked Washington just so I could get Kurt Cousins' emails out of my inbox. <laughs> yeah. Like, as a, it was a community service to myself. <laughs> um, is there – give me your impressions on this game. Well, I mean, to me, like, the – the Green Bay has been not playing well, right? And and you know not they don't well. they don't look good right now. Um, and you kind of wonder what their problem is. And you know, obviously, on the other hand, Washington's been really hot. Kirk Cousins has been on fire. Um, but then you wonder. I mean, I, you kind of question like the the strength of schedule and all that, and whether you know they've faced teams that are playoff worthy or whatever. So it's kind of an int- it's an interesting matchup in that sense because. One team, it's like a good team that's been struggling, and maybe not as good of a team that's been really hot. So, like, where do they end up on? You know, where who who ends up on top there? So, to me, the two factors are um, obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers is is the the one big thing. Like, you, we've seen what he can do when he kind of kind of gets hot, and he can kind of take over a game at times. And so, to me, really, that was the big factor. Um, and then, two, I think that Washington is kind of one dimensional right now like they don't have much of a run game and so i think that in that sense maybe green bay though their run game hasn't been outstanding either i think they're maybe a little bit more balanced and so um those are the two factors that kind of made me think green bay but again like the line is not the line's one right now in favor of green bay um it's going to be in, it's in washington so that gives them a slight advantage obviously and so i don't know it, this is going to be a really fun game to watch and it probably will end up being a close one uh, and I, again, I don't feel <laughs> super confident about this pick. I, I felt confident on the Kansas City and Seattle picks, but the Pittsburgh and Green Bay picks for me were kind of just like, you know, go with your gut on these. And, and I went with Aaron Rodgers rather than Kirk Cousins, but sure. we'll see what happens. Steven, what, what are your impressions of this game, looking at it from, a, from this point? Well, uh, see, I'm a resident hater. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that no – I do not like that, Kirk Cousins. And so I'm going to pick against you and pick the Green Bay Packers. But, but really and truly, uh, let me give you this one. I'm picking the Green Bay Packers because the Redskins, Washington, just picked up Kerry Williams. Mm-hmm. If you need to pick up Kerry Williams for your secondary, right. your secondary is probably in shambles. And right. so this is the perfect, perfect storm. You have Aaron Rodgers, who's been struggling struggling of late, and actually a few people finally started calling him out for it. And you got a Washington secondary that is ripe for the picking. How do you think that's really going to turn out? Yeah. So if, if I'm going to bet on a guy, I'm going to bet on a guy that I've seen do it before. Kirk Cousins has looked great uh, this, you know, the end of the season, second half of the season. And maybe that speaks to actually sticking with a guy who makes some mistakes and letting him yeah. get better in the same offense for yeah. two years. But you ain't heard that from me. <laughs> but, but, you know, give him credit where it's due. He has played better. He got Deshaun Jackson back, and, and that makes a world of difference when you have that guy uh, in your offense because he can take the top off of pretty much any coverage you can call. Yeah, and he's playing uh, like gangbusters too. Oh, yeah, he, he's a weapon. And, and they have a good rapport together, quite honestly. Uh, it, Kirk Cousins is throwing it up there and let him go get it. But like I said... I know what Aaron Rodgers can do, especially against a weak secondary. Mm-hmm. He's looking, look, he started watching film this week, just can't wait to get to the game. So, uh, all things being equal, I got to go with Aaron Rodgers, the better quarterback. That's normally how I go anyway. And I'm not sure everything is equal anyway, uh, especially if they actually get back to run the football with, with Eddie Lacy, yeah. uh, which is what they definitely need to do. But as far as that secondary, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pick. Aaron Rodgers and because again, I do not like that Kirk Cousins. No, I do not. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I saw somebody talking about this today. <clears throat> Excuse me, with the Packers' struggles and how much they've their receivers have really kind of struggled against man coverage, and that's really thrown the. I mean, this was this person's theory, and you know, they'd watched the film and 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 came up with the conclusions. I'm not questioning it by any means, but you know. They had talked about, you know, the Packers had struggled with man coverage. And because of that, because the Packers receivers are with man coverage, it's thrown off the entire offense and it's even thrown off Aaron Rodgers a little bit, which is why you've seen him struggle some. But to go back to Washington, Washington plays mostly zone anyway. 
And then now you're throwing in a secondary with such illustrious players like that that, uh, like you say, this might be the chance to get all that the Green Bay offense back on track just in time, too. Yep, exactly. I don't know. It should be a good week of uh, playoff games. We've got a. Uh, we've got. It, let's let's jump ahead one week, not too far. We got in the AFC. We've got Denver on a bye. They're the number one seed, and they announced today that Peyton Manning's going to start. I don't think that was a huge. I mean, were either of you surprised by that at this point, given the way things happened last week? I mean, I don't think anybody was necessarily shocked by that news but they did Kubiak made it official today and then you got the Patriots at the number two seed who should have some players back in the lineup healthy ready to go this week which was kind of their Achilles heel coming down the stretch because you know you had Gronk was back but you didn't have Edelman you didn't have Amendola you didn't have um I think LaFell even missed some time didn't he or he would just maybe wasn't as effective (laughs) so as to be noticed but he had a lot of drops. I know that. Yeah. So I, you know, the, the Patriots. You look at these two teams. Are they? I mean, is there is there anybody the Broncos and Patriots don't want to face among the four teams playing this weekend? Uh, no, honestly, I mean, like I think maybe the team that people don't want to. The two teams I think maybe people don't want to face are the Chiefs and Steelers, um, because they're more healthy. I mean, even the Steelers are not that healthy with uh, running back situations. Like, but I mean, like, look at you, like Cincinnati. Obviously, the quarterback situation that that makes them vulnerable. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, the AFC is a really interesting field this year because it's there doesn't seem to be like a real true favorite or standout. I mean, I, I, I pick New England. I think if they were healthy, and they're probably going to get healthier, but they're still. You know, they finished the season two and four in the last six games, and so they kind of limped into the playoffs a little bit. Um, you know, and obviously that was due to injuries, but if they don't get healthy in the next week or so, then they, they could still have some of those issues. And um, Denver, you know, obviously has the issues with their quarterback, and, uh, you know, obviously looks like Peyton Manning is going to start, and so we'll see what what that means. But to me, it's, it's, uh, it's a really wide-open field. I don't know who... I think I like the most in that in that field. Well, I'm kind of interested to see. I mean, you know, we all picked the Chiefs to win. I think that's about as close to a lock as it gets on the AFC side for this weekend. But I think that'll be interesting if the Chiefs get through either one of those teams. I think they match up pretty well with either one of those teams. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't sleep on Cincinnati either. Yeah. Because they look, could get Dalton could, back, too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if they get Dalton back, to me, that's big. And maybe even if they don't. Because let's be honest, we ain't really trust Andy Dalton around this time of year usually anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. look, I know we don't think A.J. McCarron is the next thing, you know, the next big thing. But he may be steady enough to win these games, whereas Andy Dalton couldn't. Remember I said this a long time ago. See, the thing about it isn't that you know, Andy Dalton would get to the playoffs and just not have an outstanding game, he would end up finding ways to, to like, throw them out of the game. Right, yeah. right. So that, that team is so good. And, and really the only person missing is the guy we really didn't trust anyway. Everybody else is still pretty much healthy. And so I think that they are stacked enough that they can pretty much play with any of these teams and maybe not put a whole lot on A.J. McCarron's shoulders, especially if there's, like, you know, rain or snow or anything like that. So you got the big back, you got the small back, you got the tight end, you got a bunch of good wide receivers, and we've already talked about their defense. I'm just telling you, I don't know that anybody really wants to play the Bengals right now, even if they have A.J. McCarron. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I, I do like the Bengals a lot too. So um, he makes it. Yeah, Stephen, you make a good point about how in the past Dalton's actually like thrown them out of games rather than you know just helping them get by. It's like he's like been the reason they've lost. So that's an interesting point. And uh, yeah, that's. I mean, like again, I said the the AFC is an interesting field. So anyone could really come out of it. Yeah, he's got. Well, I was just looking at this. Dalton's got in the play, four playoff games, 
One touchdown, six interceptions. Yeesh. Yeah. So that's that's a rough statistic to overcome. I mean, that's that's a narrative right there, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Let's go over to the, AF, the NFC side, rather. And I think you've got the presumptive favorites, maybe the two best teams in all of the NFL right now on mm-hmm. bye this week, the Panthers and the Cardinals. Yeah. And I don't know. I think, to me, like, before the Seahawks – pretty much kicked the Cardinals ass last week I would have said maybe I think I like the Cardinals the most in the NFL right now in terms of the favorites for the whole thing but but they didn't look very good obviously last week and of course Arians came out and said oh well we weren't going to play hard anyway or whatever you know but um I don't know still that kind of made me sort of you know lose some confidence in them from that angle so the the Panthers just look really balanced too so the the Panthers are to me, kind of like the the Bengals and the fact that they're very balanced. They have good defense, good offense. Um, you know, they can run the ball. They can, you know, they've got superstars on both sides of the, of the football. So, you know, I don't know. It just they look good right now going into it. And they have a, um, you know, home field advantage, which is big too. So, to me, it still looks like they might be the favorite. The Seahawks are kind of the dark horse for me. Uh, and you know, obviously, people are going to yell bias, but um, the way that they're playing right now two is just kind of like they they look like they could make a run but they they have a lot harder road to get there so um to me it looks like probably the panthers look like the favorites but uh if if uh the cardinals can get back to kind of what they were doing two weeks ago then to to me they could give them trouble steven you look at those two teams the cardinals and the panthers is there anybody that really i mean that's playing this weekend in the wild card round that really could give them a run uh I mean, look, the Seahawks won the Super Bowl uh, two years ago, lost it last year. We know all the way down to the last play of the game. They've been there before. Yeah. So it's hard to to, to kind of bet against them. And you you can't even measure or or predict the emotional uh, rise they're going to get out of Marshawn Lynch coming back if he looks anything like what we used to consider beast mode. So <clears throat> I think that the Seahawks are just a very dangerous team right now. And, of course, them being in the same division with the Cardinals, they know each other well. Yeah. So, it, you know, there's not going to be any surprises there. Um, so I, I really do think the Seahawks are the dark horse. It took them a while to start playing their brand of football, but, but they, got, they got it going in enough time to actually make the playoffs. And once you get in the playoffs – it's anybody's game. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that, yeah, you know, the, uh, they, to me, look like the Dark Horse. But it's mostly because in the NFC, more so than the AFC, I think you have the two teams and maybe three with Seattle and then everybody else. Like, I don't care really who wins uh, between Washington and Green Bay. I don't see either team really making any noise. Yeah, and if by some chance the Vikings were able to beat uh, the the Seahawks, I don't really see them making a long run either. So uh, I think you know, as much as people can say you know the Seahawks have fallen off or or whatever they want to say, I still say it's them, the Panthers and the Cardinals contending pretty much for for who's going to go to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. It's it's uh it's gonna be an interesting run for sure. We got some uh the teams. I'm looking forward to it. Playoffs are here. I was thinking back to last Sunday, it was week seventeen, sitting through some of those games, thinking, woof, man, I'm ready for the playoffs. <laughs> I know, so, it's really uh, nice. It's exciting. <laughs> um a little picks news. The regular here's the regular season total. Steven. Damn it. The champion. <laughs> barely, barely. One fifty nine to ninety seven. Danny Wright, wait, no, who was right? Odd Shark Computer in second place with 158 to 98. And then Danny in third place Damn with it. 157 to 99. The computer beat me. Yeah. That's annoying. You almost got it. Because you know why? <laughs> because of that San Francisco game. I was so oh, scared yeah. about that. I don't even know why I hit them. <laughs> but then it would have been a lot closer because, yeah, he, I think I'm pretty sure he picked the Rams and I picked uh, the 49ers. So that's a I mean, it came up to the fire. <laughs> that was a bold pick. You deserve it. 
And, and I admit that I care way too much about this <laughs> by the end of the season. <laughs> I, I, I was into it. this. I was really into it too. I'm so glad to be over with. Like the the, the playoff hits this week, I didn't even give a shit. I was like, man, whatever. <laughs> by the end of the season, I'm going through all these permutations in my head. Well, what if this guy doesn't play? Man, <laughs> way too much stress. <laughs> and really, this is how I think the 49ers get. I was like, well, we know the Rams are fuck ups. Of course, they're going to go ahead and beat Seattle and then come I back. I should have known that. I even to the city 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, and then they lost in the most Rams way possible to lose. Right, in overtime. <laughs> overtime on a blocked fucking kid. <laughs> Love it. Unbelievable. The cosmic balance of Jeff Fisher finding his way to 7-9, man. You just can't beat that. Which is, again, yet another reason I'm looking forward to some playoff football this weekend. <laughs> so we've got uh, – we run through the games. We got, we've got quite a show, and uh, we'll meet again next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Have a good weekend, and uh, let's enjoy some football. <laughs> <laughs>